Welcome back to IVPN Voice and welcome to another episode of the Edans Collaboration Series. Today's episode is all about identity and peer review. And we've picked this topic in particular to celebrate Peer Review Week, which is happening right now. Hopefully this episode is released in time. It it falls on September 20 to September 24. So Peer Review Week is a virtual community-led global event that celebrates the essential role that peer review plays in maintaining scientific quality. The event brings together individuals, institutions, and organizations committed to sharing the central message that good peer review, whatever shape or form it might take, is critical to scholarly communication. Much like any yearly global event that takes place Peer Review Week always aims to emphasize the central role that peer review plays in scholarly communication, and it showcases work of editors and reviewers, it shares research and advanced best practices, and it highlights the latest peer review innovations and applications. So every year presents with a theme, and the theme of this year was Identity in Peer Review. So during this week, participating organizations organized virtual events and activities to highlight the role of personal and social identity in peer review and ways the scholarly community can foster more diverse, equitable, and inclusive peer review practices. This is a very relevant theme right now, and it should come to no surprise that this was the first theme in peer review week that was selected through an open global survey. Recent social justice movements in response to systemic inequities, many of which COVID-19 has magnified, have caused individuals and organizations worldwide to take a more critical lens to the interplay between personal, professional, and cultural identity. Within academia, there has been an increased emphasis on taking steps to ensure that the research research reflects and amplifies diverse voices – and the ways in which we conduct peer review are essential to that. So without further ado, here's the conversation that took place between Dr. Gareth and Dr. Daniel. All right. Well, thank you so much, Miriam, for that introduction. Uh, my name's Gareth, as you just mentioned, and I'm joined here today by our science director from Edance, Dr. Daniel McGowan. Dr. Daniel, how are you doing today? Hi, Gareth. Yeah, very well. Very excited to be here. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, being able to contribute on the topic of peer review. Fantastic. Well, I mean, as I mentioned, you're the science director at Edance, but could you just tell us a little bit about your role, what it involves, maybe a bit about your background? Yep, sure. Yeah, my my background is actually in um, in neuroscience, um, PhD in neuroscience and and a couple of postdocs working on neurodegenerative diseases. And um, yeah, I I loved my my time in the lab and doing research, but uh, ultimately, like many people, um, became too narrowly focused and wanted to really spread my wings a bit more. And um, I I moved into a a new role, actually, uh, as a journal editor. So I was a journal editor on the journal Nature Reviews Neuroscience based in London. 
And um, ever since then, pretty much, so what, going back maybe 14, 15 years now, I've, I've been with Adans and science director um, since April 2008. Uh, but, but, you know, that role has changed a lot over the years as the company has changed and evolved as well. But uh, in, in summary, I see my responsibility as overseeing the execution, so um, delivery of, of our services and, and products from Adans overall the quality and, and the value um, in, in those products for our customers as well. We do a lot of things at Edance, like all across the research journey. So all the way from ideas through paper development, article development, review article development, and managing editorial um, work for authors. But we also encounter, as part of that, peer review all the time. And, and as people listening to this will, will know, peer review week 20th of September is coming up and peer review, it's considered, isn't it, to be the cornerstone of academic publishing. So, uh, Dr. Daniel, what does peer review mean to you? Do you think it's important as part of the academic publishing process? Yes, absolutely, Gareth. It's it's absolutely fundamental, essential, in fact. Um, and, and, you know, this is something that has come up over many years of doing webinars and live workshops and seminars. People ask and, and tell me about their challenges with peer review. And I, I always have to remind them, you know, it's it's really just about making the content, making your contribution uh, to the kind of collective wisdom in the literature that much better, that much clearer, that much more complete, um, that much more valuable uh, to the scientific community. Because at the end of the day, you know, we we do science not just to work in our little bubbles and silos and, and get some results, but it's all about sharing uh, those results with the wider community and, and helping, you know, seeing how our findings can advance uh, someone else's research somewhere else in the world and, and you know, how it all fits together. It's it's really exciting to see. Um, so, yeah, it's a fundamental part of that. Um, it's it's about getting the right people, our, our peers, um, the right people to come in and, and review the work we've done and comment on maybe things that aren't entirely clear in our manuscript or things that possibly could have been done better. Um, it certainly helps, you know, identify uh, those studies that maybe, you know, if there are fundamental flaws that that we don't want to, say, get these studies into the, the literature, into that collective wisdom, because then someone else somewhere else is going to spend money doing a study that goes nowhere because of those results. So really ensuring that that what is in that collective wisdom is really of the, the highest possible value and, and really allows scientists everywhere to advance um, their research field. So fundamental. Yeah, we work a lot with authors like hand in hand. So not just editing their papers, but also helping them manage those peer review comments. So, I mean, and Edance is able to help authors, wouldn't you say? I mean, engaging with us can significantly improve an article's chances of getting successfully through the peer review process, right? Oh, 100%, Gareth. Yeah, it's exactly what we do. It's our, it's our reason for being. Um, so, you know, we, we try not to be too rigid in terms of services, but actually really do aim to do anything um, that, that can help or add value or um, solve problems or, or reduce the headaches and pain points that our, our customers have. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I mentioned already, like this week, our peer review week theme, it's identity 
in peer review, which could mean a number of different things. We'll talk about that just in a minute. But I wondered um, if you had some thoughts on this from your background in, in biomedical publishing. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it's not a new topic as well. I mean, this is this is a topic that's been discussed going back many, many years. And, and you know, when when people talk to me about their challenges with peer review, um, whether it's in Latin America or in, in China or, or somewhere else in the world, often this question of bias comes up. And I do think that's closely linked um, to to identity. And, you know, if you were to, to put an identity, what type of person is reviewing my paper? Um, I, I would have to say, you know, we're, we're talking white, Western, uh, middle-aged or older, probably wearing some sort of tweed jacket and, and glasses, um, you know, and, and that is, I think, in the majority of cases, that that's the picture, that's the image, the identity of the, the peer reviewer. And, you know, we, we have to do better. Um, I, I think, you know, in the past, it's maybe been a convenient or an easy option uh, for journal editors. I, I certainly, when I think back to my time as a journal editor, you know, your networks are based on who you're meeting at conferences. And, and those are the sorts of people you're meeting at conferences. They're the ones you develop relationships with. They're the ones that you talk to about their research and they're submitting their articles to you for publication. And so automatically, you know, the easy option is these are the ones I'm going to ask to review these other papers. But but yeah, that that is the identity. It's not how things should be, of course. Um, I, you know, we, we need better um, better balance, better representation across that um, the group of peer reviewers that journals and publishers interact with. Um, but I think it still happens to be this, the case despite well over a decade of um, discussion on that topic. So, I mean, you must work with authors all the time um, and Japan China and across the world. Um, do you want to comment on the options that authors have for peer review on their papers? Because different journals will use different systems. Our listeners may be aware that some journals um, are completely blinding peer review yeah. these days yeah. or giving authors the option to choose what's called single or double blind. Do you yeah. find there's a difference in different areas, different territories, different countries around that kind of issue? Yeah, I, I don't know if there's a difference from country to country. I, I do think um, it's certainly something that I think people have become more aware of over the last probably decade or so. And I think, you know, there have been some new initiatives from journals and publishers as well to try new things, which is great. Um, you know, the, the traditional model, of course, is that you know, it's it's blinded whether whether single or double. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, in that the the authors aren't told who is reviewing their paper. Um, but you know, achieving a double blind can be very difficult, given that often authors are citing some of their prior work, um, or just by the nature of what they're presenting, what they're what they're describing in their paper. You know, in anyone who's gone to the same conference and maybe seen a poster, it's it's easy to work out who the authors are. Um, you know, some of the declarations around funding as well, it can be very obvious. And, and similarly, I know from talking to authors that often they can work out, even though it's anonymous, um, that they'll have a pretty good guess who the reviewer was. So, you know, there are, there are challenges in, in both single and double blind um, peer review. A number of journals have moved towards a more open uh, peer review, and I think there's a lot of benefit in that, particularly when um, when those comments are made public as well. 
um, it it does potentially take away some of the bias as well, which is which is a good thing, I think. That's it's a great point, and and I'll, at this point, I'll just remind our listeners that we have lots and lots of resources on the EdAnts Learning Lab. If you'd like to learn more about how to do peer review or how to manage the process, or indeed how EdAnts can help you manage the peer review process, jump on over to edants.com or learning.edants.com to learn more. Dr. Daniel, you talked about how we might increase diversity in peer review. Do you have any? Thoughts on how um, colleagues around the world, maybe journal managers, people working to hand out papers to peer review, could could increase diversity in the process? Yeah, well, I think you know I, I mentioned before that it was probably the the easy option or lazy option to go with the the traditional type of peer review, the identity of of um, whom I, I talked about before. I think it'll be interesting to see actually in this COVID era with more and more online forums, actually how representation at meetings uh, changes. And, you know, I know that the um, I, I actually attended the European um, Society of Cardiology Congress last year where because it was 100 percent online and actually it was made free to register as well. The diversity uh, at, at that meeting was phenomenal. They had the highest representation of female researchers, of younger researchers ever at any of these meetings. And so that's great to see. And so these are the people that we need to get represented among peer reviewers as well. And so, you know, it'll be really interesting to see if COVID era congresses are, are perhaps a driver um, for increasing uh you know, diversity and inclusion among that peer review group. But I think, yeah, journal editors and, and the publishers as well probably need to do a bit more to expand their networks, grow those networks and, and identify some younger people, um, you know, more females, people at different stages. It, it's important to note as well, I think, that often people at an earlier stage in their career they have they have the knowledge, they have the up to date knowledge of the field, but they also have the energy to really invest in in doing a proper thorough peer review, um, rather than you know some some older scientists might not put that level of effort in or maybe pass it over to a a younger colleague anyway. So um, you know I think it'd be really great to see actually a true representation um, from those other groups. It's a great point. Again, like I've read some studies um, where that's shown to be the case, that in fact, editors should be looking for a more senior colleague, let's say, maybe um, as well as like a younger up and coming researcher, because that seems to be the best way to get the most balanced, most effective comments on papers. All right. So you must encounter negative peer review comments all the time <laughs> in your in your role at EdAnts, given the number of articles and projects that I know you're involved in. Uh, maybe you'd share with us like one um, story, one issue um, that you can recall how you helped some authors manage the peer review process. Gosh, well, yes, just about every day, Gareth, um, there's there's something to do with peer review. It is, yeah, obviously it's a big challenge um, for, for authors and it's an area where we do offer um, a significant amount of help in overcoming uh, some of the comments, some of the challenges, but uh, you know there are there are so many different um, 
types of comment and issues, many of which are, are relatively easy for authors to address, you know, whether it's through doing some reanalysis of data or maybe a little bit of rewriting on the manuscript. Again, I'll, I'll remind listeners that it's all about just making that submission that much better, that much more complete. Um, but the one thing that I think is, is really a, a challenge, and I think here journal editors and reviewers need to be a bit more realistic is around study design and often you know people have spent two maybe three years performing this research they've written up their study they've submitted it for peer review or it's it's got through the journal review first and then on to peer review and comments come back about you know for example the end the the number of subjects if it's a clinical study or the you know the the design well, you know, it would have been really good if you included another arm here. Of course, there's always things that can be done to improve a particular study. And it's great to have, you know, some comments and ideas around maybe maybe that's something we'll consider in our next study, for example. Um, but it's, of course, not possible, not realistic to to make changes to a study that's already been completed and, and get those uh, changes into the manuscript. So, you know, while there are certain areas of study design that might be considered fatal if, if you know there's there's a major flaw in the study design and hopefully that's that's not too common we certainly don't see it a whole lot it, it's subjective you know it's hey it, it could have been better had you done this well yeah thank you very much um so so i do think yeah editors probably need to play a role as filters in this um, where a reviewer can have all these comments that might be really valuable for the researcher who's planning their next study but it shouldn't be a barrier to publishing their current one and you know if as long as they acknowledge those limitations and i do think that's the key thing you know often this is one of the key pieces of advice we give to our authors is that you know if there are little things in the study design that you know hey it would have been nice to do this it would have been nice to include a larger subject group or another arm, study arm here, but we couldn't because of these reasons. That's good enough. That's, you know, simply something to explain in the limitations paragraph at the end of your discussion with a with a good reason why not, but, but leave it on a positive. Always finish with a positive. But even despite these limitations, you know, we, we think these results are really important because of X, Y, Z. That stands alone. That is sufficient to warrant publication and yeah, journal editors need to to really be realistic about comments like that. That can be why it's so important for authors to consider working with edants because of course we can help you if you're listening to this and you're considering making a submission to a journal why not get in touch with us and and, and our expert team can can give you a, a review a pre-peer review of your article before you send it to that leading international journal. We can help you make your paper as waterproof as possible, because I've read that too. As Dr. Daniel was just saying, the method section can be the area where many of the problems come up in peer review. So thank you very much, Dr. Daniel, for your time today. I know you're extremely busy, so we really appreciate your time joining us on this EdAnts IVPN podcast today. I'll hand back to Marion, but just let me say again, thank you, Dr. Daniel. Have a great day. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gareth, for carrying out this interview flawlessly. Thank you, Dr. Daniel, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join our little podcast. 
I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and we can't wait to see you on the next one. Take care and stay safe. Thank you.